Romans, and it's uh, chapter 1, starting at verse 18, on page 1128 of the Bibles in front of you. God's wrath against sinful humanity. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal images, mortal human being, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received them themselves in due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Great. Thank you, Maggie, for reading that passage. Do keep those uh, Bibles open at page 1128 as we think about Romans uh, chapter 1 and what God wants to teach us today. Uh, it's a challenging passage, so let's begin by prayer. Heavenly Father, I imagine there's probably a lot of us who have got a lot of questions after hearing that, that reading about uh, what some of this stuff means. 
not going to be able to answer all of those today, but Lord, would you please speak to us. Lord, give us hearts and minds that are open to your word. Would it be you speaking to us today, convicting us, challenging us, encouraging us and showing us Jesus? We pray in his precious name. Amen. So what's wrath got to do with it? We're going through uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. And uh, before we get to the, the good news of forgiveness of sins, of, of eternal life through Jesus Christ, Paul wants to remind the church of the bad news. And I wonder what do you think is the main bad news in this world today? What do you think is wrong with the world today? We're going to be thinking about wrath over the next 20, 25 minutes or so. And it, I think it's worth uh, defining what wrath is, what the wrath of God means. So often we get our own experiences of anger confused, which is probably why it's probably not a very popular topic. You don't want to go along and hear someone talking about the wrath of God. Surely we've, we've grown up as a society. We've moved beyond such things. They belong in the dark ages. But we see, as we look at this passage, that this is still relevant today. God is unchanging. God is the same today as he was 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote that letter. But what is wrath? Well, wrath is God's settled anger against sin, against evil, and specifically against idolatry of, of worshipping anything other than him. That is God's wrath. And it's right, isn't it, that God is a God of wrath as well as being a God of love. Because if God was never angry, actually he would be far less loving. If a parent didn't mind when their child was hurt or, or beaten up, that's not a very loving parent, is it? You see, God shows perfect anger and perfect wrath. The problem is, as I said, we so often get our own experiences, our messy experiences of anger confused with what God's anger is like. But God isn't like that. There are times when it's quite right for, for us to be angry as well, isn't there? I don't know if you saw in the, in the paper this week, a three-year-old child attacked by adults in, in an acid attack. Absolutely horrific. Absolutely evil. And it's right that we get angry about things like that. Often we don't know how to express that anger. And it's right that God gets angry about things like that, about blatantly evil things, but actually about a humanity that has turned their backs on God. This isn't fly-off-the-wall anger. This is appropriate. Appropriate anger, evil, rebellion, and idolatry. So the question, what is wrong with the world today? Well, the problem with humanity isn't a teacher. Otherwise, God would have sent us just a teacher. The problem with humanity isn't money, otherwise God would have sent us a banker. The problem with humanity isn't self-esteem, but the problem is sin. The Bible makes that really clear. And that's why God sent, not a, save, not a, not a teacher, not a banker, but a saviour. Because our primary problem is sin. And it starts with realising that we are sinners in need of forgiveness. And I wonder a question, a bit more personal this time, are you broken by the knowledge of your own sin? Does it grieve you to know that you are a sinner, that, that we are sinners, that we fall short of God's glory? So three questions then as we think about wrath of God, now we define what it means. Um, 
about how we can understand this passage and, and what God's wrath has got to do with anything. So firstly, why is it there? What does it look like? And what do we do about it? So we think about why is it there? And the first question we ask is what have we done with the truth? Those two questions are linked. Why is God's wrath there? And what have we done with the truth? Well, it starts with what we believe about God. Okay, have a look at at verse 18 in that passage, Romans chapter 1. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. That is the reason why God's wrath is poured out on sinful humanity because we have suppressed the truth about God by our own wickedness. We are born into a world where our instincts are to believe a lie about God. That has been the case ever since Adam, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the beginning of the Bibles, we believe a lie about what God is like. So we suppress the truth that even there is a God, perhaps. Perhaps you're here this morning, you don't even believe that there is a God. And we've got to be honest with ourselves about why we may believe that, haven't we? We don't like the idea, perhaps, that we answer to God. We don't like the idea that we answer to anyone. But a God who sees everything that we do, we don't like that idea that we're responsible, that we're accountable. Perhaps that might lead us to change ourselves, but our natural instincts, as Paul says here, we want to suppress the truth so we change what we've heard. Perhaps we tweak this image of God into something more palatable. But Paul says, doesn't he, at the end of verse 20, we are without excuse. There is no good reason for why we suppress the truth. Because God has made it plain to us. It's wonderful uh, singing that in our uh, song just now. O Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the works thy hand have made. I see the stars, I hear the mighty thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. We've seen that in the last week, haven't we? We've seen thunder, we've seen, well, maybe you've seen the stars on a clear night, we've seen beautiful sun. We live in a wonderfully ordered and created universe. And that creation testifies to the fact that there is a creator. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So there are things that we understand about God, that there is a creator God from observing the natural world around us. Now, of course, many people would argue with that and say, no, we are here merely just by chance. There is no deeper meaning to anything. We are just stardust, and that is all. So when we die, we get buried, we turn to dust, and that is it. That is the good news that this world, certainly in the the West, offers that we are worthless, that we are worth no more than the sum of our parts. It's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes we'd rather believe that than that we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of a creator God. But we'd rather believe the lie, perhaps, because we like the idea of being free agents. So why is there this wrath? What have we done to the truth? Well, it starts by believing a lie. That's what Paul says. Secondly, believing a lie about God leads us to worship not God in truth, but false gods. Have a look at verses 21, 23. 
Uh, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. There's a little definition of worship. Glorifying God, giving thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Now, all people worship. We are all worshippers from the very first day we are born. We were thinking about money over the last few weeks and particularly last Sunday morning. Actually, money can be something that we worship. We, we, we glorify it. We think that is the chief, that is the best thing in our life and we give thanks to it. So thankful for my money. All of us worship things. That's what we see in this verse. Saying, you are the thing that I treasure. You are the one that I thank. You are the one that gets me through. Perhaps it's a person. Perhaps it's our spouse. Perhaps it's our children. Perhaps it's our money. It can be all sorts of things. People are worshippers. But the question is, are we worshipping the right thing? All of us are worshipping something. And we see that in verse 22, just how easily we can be led astray. We claim to be wise, but they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God. He's the one we should be worshipping for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals, reptiles. What Paul is talking about here is how easily we can be led astray. And in uh, in the case in, in Paul's day and in the Old Testament of, of physically bowing down and worshipping idols, trying to, 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 to make an image that you can worship, that you, that you look to for prosperity, for fertility, for whatever it is. And we think that we're a lot smarter. We don't, you know, we don't bow down to a little wooden trinket and think, oh, you're my God. But actually, we still worship idols today. One of the um, most horrific uh, false gods uh, in, the, um, in the time of the Old Testament that, that people, they found archaeological evidence in the Middle East that people worship was the worship of Melech, a, a Canaanite uh, false god. And uh, the worship of, of Melech often involved child sacrifice. Throwing a child alive into a fire. Because they thought by doing that, that would increase their prosperity. That by worshipping this idol, that they would live a better life. And it enraged God, as it rightly should. But actually, we worship idols today, don't we? Maybe not in the same way. But I wonder what lengths we are going to to ensure our prosperity. To ensure our security i think we we may not call the gods malek we may not sacrifice children in fire but actually we want the same things as his worshippers wanted don't we We want security we want prosperity and maybe some people are willing to sacrifice children to do that perhaps the abortion rates speak to that truth you see the heart of the human problem say this most times I get up here, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart, isn't it? We believe a lie about God. We worship false gods. And look how we treat others. We treat them selfishly. No more clearly than uh, in the idea of, of, of sexual relationships, which Paul spells out in 26 and 27. Three times uh, it's said that people have exchanged truth for a lie. We see that in verse 25. And we see that here again. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. 
In the same way, the men also abandoned, you could put exchange there as well, natural relations with women are inflamed with lust for one another. This is a picture of sexual relationships gone wrong. Based on the fact that we believe a lie about God, we worship false gods, and we treat others selfishly. Verses 26 and 27 speak into a world of selfish desire about getting what we want, not what God wants. This is selfish desire, not self-giving. So Paul uses the example, still relevant in our day, of, of homosexuality. But the truth is, whether we're here this morning, whether we're gay or, or straight or however we identify, all of us are sexually broken. We all inherit this way of thinking because we believe the lie about God, we've worshipped false gods, and we treat each other selfishly. We're all sexually broken. But this is specifically, this is why he, he highlights it, saying that this is, this is all lust, no love. It's not the kind of love that God shows. This is self-fulfillment, not self giving it's worthwhile bearing all this in mind as we think about next weekend and and thousands of people coming to this city to celebrate in in the pride march i don't know what what you think about uh that event but it's worthwhile thinking if people are going there because they think that that's where they can find their identity that it's about self-fulfillment, self-actualization. It's one of those words, I'm not quite sure what it means. Self-realization. It's about looking down into me and, and trying to find out who I am and, and just be at peace with who I am. Would well, you see that the Bible says that that's not the way to true contentment? That's not the way to peace with yourself, peace with God. And it's such a controversial message because as a culture, we identify so deeply with our sexuality that we are... Who, who we say we are sexually. But what Paul is, is, is saying here is this is a breakdown. This isn't how God wants life to be. All because of what we've done with the truth. All of us are guilty. That's what we've done with the truth. So what does God give us in return? Well, three times we've seen that humanity have exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And three times we see that God gives them over. And this is how we see God's wrath today. What does God give us in return? Well, what we ask for, which is a sobering truth. I wonder if perhaps there are some people here who are 15, but um, I think probably 15, I was probably at my least uh, irrational and uh, um, most impulsive probably. And uh, I wonder... If you were 15 and you could have asked your parents for anything, knowing that they would give it to you without question, I wonder what you would have asked for. Now, looking back on it, I'm most certainly absolutely glad that they didn't give me what I asked for when I was 15. I probably wouldn't be standing here today. And it's, it's, a, it's a difficult thing as you admit, as you grow up, that parents know best. Not always, but most of the time. They often know better than, than we do. And it's true on a far more greater level of our Heavenly Father, isn't it? Our Father knows what is best for us. But it's a terrifying thought that Paul spells out. That if we keep on rejecting God, if we keep on believing a lie, if we keep on worshipping false gods and living that out in our life, if we keep on rejecting God and asking for something else, then he may one day give that to us. We see that in two ways. God gives over 
people to their desires in outward actions and in inward thinking. First, the outward actions we see in verse 26. Because of this, because of the way that they've thought and behaved and worshipped, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Verse 26. See that in verse 29 as well. As as Paul describes all the possibilities of what life without God can look like. I hope you would agree that this is handing over not to a life of freedom and and self-realization. This is handing over to a terrible fate. This isn't life. This is death. Life without God is not life at all. This is going against God's intended way for life to flourish in his creation, which is why in verse 29, you know, the list is endless. There's all sorts of potential for someone without God to commit all kinds of evil. And I wonder if you were compiling this list, would you put all these in the same thing? I mean, perhaps you'd say, okay, think about what what might typify an evil life. Well, we've got murder, okay, that's evil. Slanderers, okay, that's that's fairly evil. Boastful, we think that's pretty evil nowadays, don't we? They invent ways of doing that. But there's some surprises in there as well, aren't there? Gossips in the same list as murderers. They disobey their parents. We get to the end of this list and think, actually, maybe not all of these are true for us, but certainly some of them are. We've been guilty of these things in the past. And without God... That is where our freedom takes us until that is the epitome of of who we are, living without God with the potential of all kinds of evil. And actually for Christians, the opposite should be true of all of us. Not once you become a Christian, you're just suddenly perfect, but actually you have God's Holy Spirit living within you. And the fruit of being in a relationship with God is that we start to live that out. We stop the gossip. We start showing mercy and love and humility. Instead of thinking about ways we can, we can do evil to one another, we think of ways how we can bless one another and be good news to the place that we live. You see, God gives us over to the life that we want, either the life with him or life without him. But also, we're, we've got this uncanny ability to justify it, haven't we? Verse 28, furthermore, just they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. They jettisoned it. So God gave them over to a depraved mind, an ability to justify, thinking that we know best, forgetting God, embracing a lie, and justifying evil and selfish desires. That's what God gives us in return. He gives us over to those things. Well, then what do we do about it? How does, how does God leave us? How does God leave this situation? Well, as we saw at the beginning of verse 18, that his wrath is revealed, isn't it? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. That was true in Paul's day. That was true before that, and it's true today. There's a wrath revealed. This wrath is tied in with God's judgment, God's judgment in the present, but also the future day of judgment as well. God isn't passive to evil and idolatry. When that child was attacked with acid, he's not just thinking, oh, well, that's just humanity for you. God is rightly angered by evil, both obvious acts of evil like that and just the little selfish things, gossip. It's not little, is it? It's just as serious. God doesn't turn a blind eye to our sin. 
And actually, it would be a terrible thing, isn't wouldn't it, if God never intervened with injustice. But the Bible tells us as well that there is a greater day to come, a day when Jesus will return and we will all be judged for what we have done, whether we have come to him or whether we have carried on ignoring him. And because of that, I hope all of us, myself included, are taking our sin seriously today. Maybe we need to take that confession home and, and say it again later, thinking about our sin. Well, how does God leave it? Well, this wrath revealed in the present and this day to come. But look at the consequences. God's wrath against sinful humanity, verse 32. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. The Bible tells us that the penalty of sin is death. That is why death is in the world, because of sin. But this whole idea of, of God's punishment of sin, particularly in the Old Testament, is often typified in a picture, and that is the picture of a cup. The prophets talk about it. People like Jeremiah talk about the cup of God's wrath. That's why we've got a cup on the screen. And pouring it out on his enemies and on the nations that oppose him. This day when God will pour out the cup of his wrath on all those who have believed a lie and have worshipped false gods and have done evil deeds. But there's also another mention of a cup in the Bible. Jesus speaks about a cup when he is praying. He is kneeling in a garden on the night before he will be crucified. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, as he is aware that he is going to the cross, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. Why has Jesus got a cup? Jesus, as, as has been declared in, in the, the other gospels, saying, God the Father spoke to him and said, this is my beloved son. He is perfect. Why has he got the cup of God's wrath? He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. You see, it was the Father's will for, for Jesus to drink the cup of God's wrath at the cross so that we wouldn't have to. That Jesus would go to the cross and drink down every drop of God's wrath Right down to the dregs, every last bit of it. He was doing that so that we would not have to experience God's wrath today or forever for ourselves because of our sin. He experienced it in our place. Though we deserved death, he tasted it for us. So I hope this has been a wake-up call. I hope it's been like a, a quadruple espresso that alerts you to, to the reality of the world that we live in. So I'll leave you with this question. What will you do with this wrath? It, it's, it's inescapable, isn't it? It's in our Bibles. This is what God is like. God is a God of love. And part of that love is his wrath, his anger against sin and evil and rebellion. What will you do with it? Will you try and taste it yourself and just think that you're fine? That list points out that actually all of us are in need of a savior, doesn't it? Will you taste it or will you flee? Flee to the one who experienced it for you, for me, so that we can be forgiven. 
and instead of facing his wrath, be welcomed in with loving arms to be part of his family. That's what we all need. We need a saviour. Please flee to him today. As Don said earlier, we're going to be uh, hosting an Alpha course in September and uh, the flyers at the back and out here. If you want to find out more about how you can be right with God through Jesus, then I do encourage you, personally invite you to come along. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while and I just need to think about things a bit more clearly. Well, do come along. If you're new to church, we've got a friend, someone you think actually they need to hear this. Tuesday, September the 11th, 7.30, beginning here in the church. We start with a meal and it's free on the first night. And then it's just uh, costs after that for, for the meals. But perhaps you, you feel actually today you, you, want to, you want to make that start of that journey. You want to flee to that cover. Well, um, we're going we're gonna to pray uh, a bit more fully in a moment. But I just want to lead us in a short prayer. And uh, if you feel that this is what you want to do, you, want, you acknowledge your sin, you want to flee to Jesus. Well, I'm going to say this prayer and maybe just listen to it. I'll leave a gap between each line. And that you can make it your own. And if you agree, it'd be great for you to to come and and, and say hello afterwards and and think about how we can support you in this this journey, in this relationship with the living God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am sorry for my sin. I realise that the things I have believed, worshipped, and done have separated me from you. Thank you that Jesus experienced your rightful anger on my behalf so I can go free. Help me to put my trust in you today and be saved. Amen.